Amen. Well, we're going to be talking about restoration and renewal this morning. We're going to be talking about change. Uh, let me ask you guys something before I get started. How do you like the new seating set up here in the sanctuary? You like it? All right. We've got, uh, we had some folks actually, you know, uh, unsolicited email us this week and say, boy, we really like the way, you know, the sanctuary is set up. Um, and we did this strategically. We did this for a reason. Um, and, and it's kind of symbolic of getting out of old ruts and into new habits. You've got to sit in places that you're not used to sitting. And I know in church, that can be tough. It, it, <laughs> Beth makes her way to her usual seat right there. Yeah, yeah, but... Uh, but that's that's what we're doing. So we're going to have this this set up at least uh, through uh, this series and through January. And um, I'll be down here on the floor with you if that's okay. All right, good stuff. Well, we're going to continue our launching series this morning uh, for 2020. It's a series called Redo. Um, we're we're talking about second chances. We're talking about beginning again in a new year. How many of you could use a second chance on something this year? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe it's how you handled your money. You need another run at that. Uh, maybe it's now meddling your eating, your exercise habits. Um, maybe you need another chance to limit your Netflix intake. I don't know. Um, maybe you need a reset, seriously, on a relationship. Whatever it might be, you know, the beautiful truth is this, that we serve a God of second chances. We serve a God who doesn't hold our past against us, but gives us the capacity to begin again and again and again and again. Seventy times seven, Jesus told Peter, which is really the number of infinity um, Jesus challenged Peter to forgive that many times, and, and we are challenged to believe that God forgives us that many times when we find ourselves clothed in Christ. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for that as an imperfect human being. Sometimes I just need a redo, <laughs> and reality is so do you. Last week we looked at the Apostle Paul. And the radical reset that Jesus initiated in his life on the Damascus Road. And today we're going to turn our attention to another big guy in the Bible, um, King David. And how we can reconnect with God no matter how far we've drifted from him. And that's good news. Let me ask you something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning... Did you go deeper with him in 2019 or did you drift further from him? Think about that. Did you go deeper with Jesus in your relationship with God in 2019 or did you kind of drift further from him? Were you intentional to seek God daily, to, to gather for worship Weekly, were you intentional to look in His Word regularly for wisdom and direction? As you reflect back, was your relationship with Jesus truly a priority last year? Be honest with yourself. And I had to take a hard look at this. 
It's like your pastor's looking at whether his relationship with Jesus was a priority last year. I know that's disturbing. And you don't have to laugh right in my face, Beth. But, um, <laughs> I don't blame you. It's a danger zone. Um, but honestly, man, I have to look at that regularly. This stuff doesn't just happen. We've got to work at it. We've got to keep our spiritual paddles in the water. We don't just drift into a better relationship with Jesus. As you reflect back, was it a priority last year? If not, the likelihood is that you drifted. Because drifting away from God is our default setting since Genesis 3 as human beings. We don't automatically grow closer and closer to God. We automatically drift away from God. If we're not intentionally putting those spiritual paddles in the water, the current of culture pulls us away from our Creator. And so I ask you again, did you go deeper with God last year or did you drift? And I ask myself that same question. And I say all that to say this, drifting is dangerous. Drifting is dangerous because it puts distance between you and God. How many of you have ever been to the ocean, beach vacation? You get out there in the water, man, you're playing waist deep in the water. You're throwing the kids up in the air. You're body surfing. You're tossing a frisbee, relaxing on a raft, whatever you like to do. Just having a big time. And then an hour later, you look up. And you can't find your beach chair, your umbrella, your towel, your family, you, the hotel you were in. You're like, what happened? I've done that a thousand times. Man, you drifted. And you didn't even know it. You had your mind on other things. You're having a big time. Spiritual drift happens much the same way. We get distracted. We're playing around. We stop paying attention and one day we look up and God is nowhere to be found. It's like our umbrella and our chairs. He didn't move. We drifted away from Him without even realizing it. Drifting is dangerous. Worst case scenario, you get caught in a riptide and it drags you so far out you can't make it back on your own. It's exactly what Beth was just talking about. If you keep fighting in your own strength, guess what? You'll drown. The best way to survive a riptide is to stop fighting it and let it take you to calmer water. And the same is true in your spiritual life. That's exactly what we see playing out in King David's life. Scripture tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. As a matter of fact, God tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who saw God show up and show out in his life over and over and over again. From his early battle as a shepherd boy with Goliath, where God shows up for the whole nation of Israel. 
and allows David to be lifted up in their eyes by taking out that giant from a shepherd boy. David moves to the king of Israel time and time and time again in battle and in relationship. David saw God show up. It was undeniable. He knew God existed. He knew God was there. He knew God had his best interest at heart. And yet after all that David has seen, all that he had watched God do in his life, guess what? He drifted. He drifted. It doesn't matter what, how faithful you've been in the past. You can drift moving forward. And that's exactly what we see in the life of David. He got complacent. He took his spiritual paddles out of the water. And the flood of his own flesh led him astray. Let me ask you something. Were your spiritual paddles in the water last year? (laughs) Or were you just going with the flow? Because that's the default setting. Drifting is dangerous. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. David's just come off big victories. He's fighting with his men and then... Samuel tells us, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent his general Joab out with his men and the whole Israelite army. He sent him out to lead them. But David remained in Jerusalem. Telling. David's drift begins here. It began with complacency and it began with a sense of entitlement, we'll see. David was a warrior king, clearly. He always fought with his men. Always fought with his men. Right up to the previous chapter, chapter 10 in Second Samuel, David is fighting with his men. It's who he was. It's what God designed him to do. For whatever reason, and the Bible doesn't tell us, for whatever reason, the next spring David sends the army out but decides to stay back and not go with them, to stay in Jerusalem. Note that he was not where he needed to be. He was not where he was supposed to be. He wasn't where God called him to be. And because of that, drift and the decisions that followed, his life would begin to spiral out of control. As you look back on last year, let me ask you a question. (laughs) Were you where you needed to be? Were you where you should have been? Were you where God called you to be? And maybe you needed to be at home more. And at the office less. That's tough. Or maybe vice versa. You needed to be at the office more. 
and at homeless. Maybe you needed to be with family more, friends less. Maybe you needed to be where God had called you to be, pursuing what He called you to do, but you drifted into a different place. Think about that. That was the case with David. This one decision to remain in Jerusalem. It's interesting that David drifted after a great victory. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 10. Not after a big defeat. We are just as if not more vulnerable when we're winning in life than when we're losing in life. Do you hear me? That is a message for the suburbs. We become complacent. We become entitled to think that we deserve certain things in our lives. David felt entitled that he could do and have whatever he wanted. It's a dangerous place to be. David felt spear-proof. And it came not with losing, but with winning. While his army was out fighting, David's kicking back at the palace. He takes a stroll on the roof to just kind of scan his city, his kingdom. And when he's doing that, he sees a woman bathing in the distance on her roof. I don't know if you've ever figured this out. If you live long enough, you will. When you're not where you're supposed to be, (laughs) the enemy has a way of creating the perfect storm. The naked woman that David sees is Bathsheba. And the flood of his his flesh sweeps in like a riptide. So much so, he sends his messengers to go get her. He's the king. She's got to come. He sleeps with Bathsheba that night and soon finds out that she's pregnant. Bathsheba is married to one of David's soldiers by the name of Uriah. And so to cover his indiscretion, David summons Uriah from the battlefield, a man of great integrity. And he did that to give him an opportunity to sleep with his wife so that David could cover his indiscretion. But what did Uriah do? He told the king, I cannot go home. I cannot sleep in my bed when my fellow soldiers are fighting and sleeping in the field. Wow. A study in contrast. David's CYA plan A didn't work, so he moves to CYA plan B to cover his sin. Drifting always takes you into deeper water. Always. Anybody ever experienced that? You're trying to get out of a mess and the mess gets worse. Because you keep making poor decisions and not owning the original decision you made. Trying to cover his tracks, David digs himself into a deeper hole with God. 
he instructs his general Joab to have the soldiers abandon Uriah on the front line. He said, put him where, where the fighting is the fiercest. Think about this. Put him where the fighting is the fiercest and then pull away from him. David wanted to solve his problem regardless of how it affected other people. He murdered Uriah by proxy. Word comes to Bathsheba. She mourns his death. And then David takes her as his wife. What else is she going to do? And she gives birth to their son. David had drifted from a man after God's own heart to an adulterer and a murderer. It's amazing how quickly life can unravel regardless of your past. The last verse of chapter 11 says this, But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You think? David's drift disconnected him from God. His sin created a barrier between them. Some of you might be right there this morning. You just feel like God is nowhere to be found. And you've drifted so far that you just can't see Him. You can't find Him right now. You made some bad decisions and now you're in deep water. You're trying to fight your way back. And what comes next in this story is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. I just absolutely love it from a truth standpoint and from a literary standpoint. It reveals God's relentless pursuit of us no matter how far we drift away from him, which is a beautiful thing. Most of you know the story. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord, who? The Lord sent Nathan to David. God didn't abandon David because of his sin. God had his eye on David the whole time, no matter how far he had drifted. Remember, he's an adulterer and a murderer at this time. But the Lord sent Nathan out of his love and his compassion for David. Sent Nathan to confront David. The Lord pursued him in the midst of his sin. And he pursues us. That's the character of God. He's not a cosmic killjoy just waiting to hit us when we step out of line. God is waiting for us to repent, for us to acknowledge, for us to confess our sin. And He's waiting like the father of the prodigal with His arms open wide for us to return to Him again. So He can forgive us. He's waiting for you to turn around. He's waiting for you to stop fighting and admit your sin so He can throw His arms around you and welcome you back home. Nathan was David's prophet. He was also a friend and a confidant. But he was still a servant of the king. And so he took great risk in confronting David. He knew that the Lord had sent him to David and he needed to confront David. But can you imagine with David at this place, the risk he was taking by confronting him about his sin? The reality is we all need a Nathan in our lives. 
Someone who has the permission to call us out. Someone who is willing to risk the relationship to bring us back in line. Who's that for you? You have a Nathan in your life? Second Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I love this. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. So he raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, and it drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. What a picture. It was like a daughter to him. And now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. How far does our hypocrisy go? One of my favorite lines in the Bible right here. Nathan said to David, you are that man. And God says that to each of us. Because to varying degrees, we are all that man. We are all that woman. We have all fallen short. We have all missed the mark. We all need to repent. We all need to confess. We all need to be reconnected to the God of our salvation. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this had not been enough, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah with the sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah to be your own. Mm. Maybe you need to be a Nathan to a friend today that you see drifting into disaster. Maybe you need to be a Nathan to your spouse or to your child. You know, I'll tell you, as I look back on 2019, Kim was a Nathan to me several times. And oftentimes it is your spouse who, who has earned the right to be a Nathan to you. And I can tell you, it stings at the time. Just like this stung David. Pierced him to the heart. It stings. But it is a lifeline when you're drifting. 
be a Nathan. Receive from a Nathan. Because of Nathan's words, David quit fighting. David changed his direction and he moved with contrition toward God. Where do you need to do that this morning? As Paul said, where do you need to quit kicking against the goads? Surrender. Stop fighting. Confess, repent, and move toward the Father. Let Him take you to calmer waters. And then David said to Nathan in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. David hits his knees and he acknowledges it. And Nathan replies, The Lord has taken away your sin. God's forgiven you, David. You are not going to die. And that's the truth for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. God has taken away our sin. He has separated it from us as far as the east is from the west. And there's no changing that. You are not going to die. He has given you eternal life. Confession and repentance in the midst of that relationship renews and recovers your relationship with God. It reconnects you to Him. That's the way God designed it. That's what the cross is all about. David would suffer the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. We don't escape the consequences of our sin. Don't misunderstand that. And as you read on, and I would challenge you to read the rest of Second Samuel here. David did not escape the consequences of his sin. The consequences were severe. But God fully forgave him. He restored him and he renewed their relationship. What I want you to hear in this is this. There is no sin that extends beyond God's grace. You hear me? That love that burns away shame. That's exactly right. There is no greater love than the cross. And there is no sin that can extend beyond what Christ has done for you on the cross. But like David, and you've got to come clean before God to become clean with God. Where do you need to do that this morning? Where do you need to just hit your knees? Even if you do it in your heart where you sit right now, where do you just need to, to assume that posture and say, God, forgive me, I'm so sorry. Repentance. When you're drifting, is an anchor to the soul. It reconnects you to God and keeps you from drifting further from Him. One writer put it this way, The Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. Confession and repentance needs to be an integral part of the Christian life. Well, we stop growing. And we keep drifting. Fast forward in your Bible to Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is essentially a continuation of the passage that we just read um, from, from David's perspective. 
We see David's response in this psalm to Nathan when he was confronted. Essentially, we see David come clean. He says this. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, burning away that shame. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned, David says. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David said, I I deserve whatever punishment you've got in store for me. But God chooses forgiveness. Reconciliation. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. There's a lot of theology here. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, David said, and I'll be whiter than snow. He's pleading with God. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed through conviction, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. That's our prayer. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. What a prayer for a new year. Don't cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me, O God, the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And put your finger on that psalm. Mark that psalm in your Bible. Read that psalm this week. Let it be the cry of your heart for a new year. And as you reflect on 2019, I ask you again, did you drift? Were you drifting? Was your relationship with Christ a priority? And do you need to drop the anchor this morning? You do that through repentance and confession. And when we're willing to stop fighting, when we're willing to surrender and lay our hearts and our lives before God, acknowledge, come clean with God. His arms are open wide and He restores us and reconnects us to the place that life is found in Him. He waits for every prodigal, like David, like me, and like you. To return. And His grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the depth of Your love. The depth of Your desire to pursue us, Lord, no matter how far we run. I thank You, Father, that You don't abandon us. But you are consistently calling us back to yourself. And I pray this morning for those in this room who feel like they've gone too far. Who feel like the past is just too much and and they can't overcome it. Lord, I pray 
that you would draw them into the depth of your love, even in this moment. That that shame would be burned away by the glory of your love and the grace of your Son, Jesus. Help us to have the courage to confess and repent as David did, that we might be restored to life. In Jesus' name, amen.